Good day to everyone listening out there. Today is March 6, 2023, and this is Democracy Appalled. We are talking about democracy and its impact on the world. This show is all about democracy. This is Democracy Appalled. We are live from 1490 WWPRAM every Monday at 5 a.m. Eastern, and I'm your host, Rohan Mova. If you have any questions about democracy, send us an email at democracyappalled at gmo.com, and we'll bring that topic in our next week's session and be sure to give you a shout out. Remember, that email is democracyappalled at gmo.com. Let's get started. So last week and the week before, we talked about the history of democracy and our understanding of democracy through six key points. The first being the history of democracy, where we covered ancient origins, modern democratic systems, and the spread of democracy. This week, and in the following week possibly, I'd like to go into the role of democracy in modern society, so the impact on economic development, human rights, social equality, and all that sort of stuff and how it ties into democracy and how democracy has evolved in our modern society to include those things, for the betterment or for the worse. We'll also continue once we finish with the, mod- the role of democracy in modern society. In future episodes, we'll go into the current state of democracy in the United States, point number three, the current state of democracy globally, point number four, the future of democracy, point number five, and the relationship between democracy and the media, point number six. So let's get right into it. The role of democracy in modern society. So the impact on economic development. So I'll be discussing how democracy has contributed to economic growth and stability, including the examples of countries like South Korea and Taiwan. And I'll go into human rights where I discuss how democracy has helped to promote and protect human rights, including the freedom of speech, religion, and assembly. Then I'll go into social equality, where I discuss how democracy has helped to reduce social and economic inequality, including examples of countries with strong social welfare systems, like Scandinavia. The role of democracy in modern society is multifaceted, and it has contributed to economic development, human rights, and social equality. So let's get started with the impact on economic development, which I believe surrounds democracy and our modern society in a great way. One of the key contributions to democracy, to modern society, is its positive impact on economic growth and stability. Democracies tend to have stronger and more stable economies than non-democratic countries, as they provide a more favorable environment for private enterprise, entrepreneurship, and innovation. Democracies also have a more transparent and accountable economic system, which can help to prevent corruption and promote fairness and efficiency in the allocation of resources. Examples of countries that have experienced significant economic growth and development under democratic systems include South Korea and Taiwan. Both countries have transformed themselves from relatively poor agrarian societies into thriving economic powerhouses in just the space of a few decades. This transformation was driven in large part by government policies that encourage investment, innovation, and entrepreneurship, as well as by the establishment of democratic institutions that ensure transparency, accountability, and the rule of law. The rule of law is something that cannot be diminished. Here in the United States, we have a constitution that is our rule of law, where it is the supreme document that we must follow here in the United States. And that is what we all go by. And the way we interpret it shapes a lot of our lives. And the courts have a great part in that. And the judiciary is something we talked about in last week's episode. 
And it, while it's widely recognized that democracy has played a key role in promoting economic growth and stability, the exact nature of this relationship is often debated. Some argue that democracy provides a favorable environment for economic development by promoting political stability, transparency, and accountability, while others argue that economic growth is often achieved at the expense of social and environmental sustainability. From a business standpoint, the impact of democracy on economic development, it can be tremendous and very significant. Democracies with strong institutions such as the rule of law and transparent governance, like I said before, it creates a more st stable and predictable business environment. Stability and predictability is something very uncommon when it comes to businesses. Even in the United States here, you have stock market fluctuations. And why is that? You have great, great volatility in some, some, some sectors some areas, some companies, and that's because there is some unpredictability. There is some instability. But at the end of the day, it is much, much more stable and predictable here, the overall business environment, than it is in another country where there may not be as strong institutions with great governance and strong leadership. Because as we all know, policy, it directly affects the economy. It directly affects it. One way or another, the government will affect our economy. And when the government affects our economy, it affects our development. And when it affects our development, it affects our businesses. And when it affects our businesses, it affects us. Each one of us, it affects us. So when you have democracies with strong institutions, when they have the rule of law, when you have something like the constitution, when you have a transparent governance that is there for the people, it helps to create a more stable and predictable business environment. Is it always perfect? No, it's not. And we see that within the United States. Do we have a fully transparent government? No, we don't. Do we have a government that is 100% always following the rule of law with nothing going wrong? No, that's not true. So we can help to create a more stable and more predictable business environment, but not a fully stable, not a fully predictable business environment. And this is something that can encourage investment and economic growth. So for example, in countries like South Korea and Taiwan, they've experienced rapid economic growth in recent decades. And a great part of that is due to their democratic institutions and policies that promote market competition. Competition, time and time again, it promotes the best businesses, the best prices, the best consumers, and it promotes the best business development standpoint. From an economic development and a business com a competition standpoint, it produces the best thing for the, for the government, for the people, for their country, for the future. And that's because competition, it promotes the the mingling of different ideas coming together, one company trying to push forward with another company right behind its tail. And it always pushes them to go forward and to pursue greater lengths. And that is why competition is so important and market competition is greater in democratic institutions with policies that promote this market competition and competition in general, which helps to create a, a greater business environment where businesses are able to thrive and innovate and entrepreneurship is, is at an all-time high. And that's why democratic institutions with uh, strong institutions behind them, backing them, like the rule of law and transparency, have a much more stable and predictable business environment. And in addition to this, democracies with effective and efficient regulatory frameworks can help to ensure that businesses operate in a fair and competitive marketplace. And this can help to prevent monopolies and promote innovation. And this drives economic growth and creates new business opportunities. And democracies with strong social welfare systems, 
they can also help to create a more productive workforce by ensuring that citizens have access to education, healthcare, and other essential services. And that's been an argument that's come up time and time again. But how true is this? I'm not exactly sure. Because when you look at countries like Great Britain, these strong social welfare systems that they supposedly claim to have that is that is so great, they have to a degree capped the, the economic development of that country, of, of Great Britain, because they're so strapped and so essentially needed by all these different services within the country, all these different social services. It's not privatized. And to a degree, privatization is necessary. And it's capping their government. And when it's capping their government, it's capping economic development. So how strong is this that they need strong social welfare systems? I'm not completely sold on that. But overall, democracy, it provides a stable, predictable, and supportive environment for businesses to operate in. And what does that do? That promotes economic development and growth. And by promoting market competition, preventing monopolies, and supporting a healthy, educated workforce, democracies can create a more prosperous and sustainable economy for all its citizens, which is the best idea and the best outcome there is. You know, there's some examples. The United States, it's a leading democracy that has a highly developed economy. The country's democratic institutions, such as the rule of law and transparency, have helped to create stable and predictable business environments that encourage investment and growth. In the United States, it's had a highly efficient regulatory framework that promotes market competition and innovation. And when it comes to South Korea, South Korea is a democracy that has experienced significant economic growth in recent decades. The country's democratic institutions have helped to create a stable and predictable business environment, which has encouraged investment and growth. In addition, South Korea has implemented policies that promote market competition and innovation, such as tax incentives for research and development, and government support for small and medium-sized enterprises. And this is what is going to propel their economic development for not just this generation, but future generations to come as well. And that's why it's so key that you have a democratic institution in place with stable governance, stable leadership, and stable futures, because democracy isn't just this generation or next generation, but it is one generation away from dying. Because democracy, it changes as we change and society evolves. Going back to South Korea and the policies they implemented to promote market competition, such as tax incentives and research and development, and government support for these small and medium-sized enterprises to grow and develop to greater lengths. Because when you put in the resources and the effort to these smaller and these medium-sized companies to compete with the bigger companies, it promotes greater competition, greater innovation, and greater economic development at the end. Japan is a country that has a democracy that has experienced significant economic growth over the past decade. And it has done something similar to South Korea, where they've implemented policies to promote market competition and, and innovation do those same exact similar policies with tax incentives for research and development and government support for small and medium-sized enterprises. And these examples, they demonstrate how democratic institutions and policies can help to create a stable and predictable business environment that encourages investment and growth. And by promoting market competition, innovation, and high, a highly productive workforce, democracies can create a more prosperous and a more sustainable economy for all its citizens, from the top to the bottom. Here are some questions that come to mind when answering democracy and economic development. So how does democracy help to promote economic growth in developing countries? So democracy can promote economic growth in developing countries by creating a more stable and predictable business environment that encourages investment and growth. 
Democracies with strong institutions, such as the rule of law and transparent governance, can help to create a level playing field for businesses to operate in, which can promote market competition and innovation. In addition, democracies with effective and efficient regulatory frameworks can help to prevent monopolies and promote innovation, which drive economic growth and create new business opportunities. How can businesses contribute to the development of democracy? Businesses can contribute to the development of democracy by promoting transparency, accountability, and good governance practices. This can help to create a more stable and predictable business environment, which can encourage investment and growth. In addition, businesses can contribute to the development of democracy by supporting social and economic programs that promote the interests of all citizens. By promoting social and economic equality, businesses can help to create a more stable and sustainable business environment that benefits all stakeholders involved. What are the risks of democratic institutions being undermined by powerful business interests? The risks of democratic institutions being undermined by powerful business interests include the potential for regulatory capture, where businesses are able to secure regulatory policies in their favor and the potential for corruption where businesses use their power and influence to gain an unfair advantage. These risks can undermine the stability and predictability of the business environment, which can discourage investment and growth. To mitigate these risks, democracies must prioritize transparency, accountability, and good governance practices, and ensure that regulatory policies reflect the uh, interests of all citizens, not just those in powerful business interests. You know, th these questions, they answered, they demonstrate the complex and interdependent relationship between democracy, business, and economic development. By promoting transparency, accountability, and good governance practices, democracies and businesses can work together to create a more stable, prosperous, and sustainable business environment that benefits all stakeholders involved. Another contribution to, of democracy to modern society is its role in protecting and promoting human rights including freedom of speech, religion, and assembly. Democracies provide a framework for ensuring that all citizens have equal rights and protections under the law, and they also promote a culture of openness, tolerance, and diversity that is essential for the flourishing of human rights. Examples of how democracy has helped protect and promote human rights can be seen in many countries around the world. For example, in India, the world's largest democracy, the constitution guarantees a wide range of individual freedoms and rights, including the right to free speech, freedom of religion, and the right to equality before the law. Similarly, in South Africa, which underwent a transition to democracy in the 1990s, the new government established a constitution that enshrines a wide range of human rights and protections, including the right to vote, freedom of speech, and the right to a fair trial. The protection and promotion of human rights is often cited as one of the key benefits when it comes to democratic governance. Democracies, they provide a framework for ensuring that all the citizens have access to rights and protections equal under the law. And those rights and those freedoms, they include the freedom of speech, the freedom of religion, and the freedom of assembly. However, the effectiveness of democratic institutions in protecting and promoting human rights is not always clear. And when it comes to countries like India and South Africa having established democratic systems that promote human rights and protections, they've also faced significant challenges in ensuring that these rights are being upheld in practice. 
In India, for example, freedom of speech and religion have been threatened by rising nationalism and religious tensions, while in South Africa, issues such as police brutality and xenophobia have raised concerns about human rights protection. And the questions remain, how, how can democracies ensure that human rights are protected in practice, not just in theory? What role do civil society and independent institutions play in promoting human rights protections? How can democratic institutions address rising nationalism and extremism that threaten human rights and diversity? Protecting human rights in practice is a challenge for democratic societies, as it requires ensuring that democratic institutions are effective in upholding the rule of law and promoting human rights protections. One way to ensure that human rights are protected is by promoting an independent judiciary and establishing human rights commissions that monitor and enforce human rights protections. Civil society organizations and independent institutions also play a crucial role in promoting human rights protections. For example, independent media outlets can work to expose human rights violations and hold those responsible accountable, while human rights organizations can monitor and document human rights abuses and advocate for policy changes. Addressing rising nationalism and extremism that threaten human rights and diversity is another challenge for democratic societies. One example of a country that has addressed this challenge is Canada, which has established policies to promote diversity and inclusion and has invested in education and outreach programs to combat hate, speech, and extremism. The next key framework when it comes to democracy and economic development is social equality. So democracy has played an important role in reducing social and economic inequality in many countries around the world. Democracies also provide a framework for ensuring that all citizens have equal access to social and economic opportunities, and they also promote a culture of social responsibility and solidarity that can help to reduce inequality. I'm not going to talk about social equality too much in this week's segment. So again, this is your host, Rohan Movan. If you're just tuning in, we're talking about democracy and its impact on the world. This show is all about democracy. This is Democracy Appalled. If you have any questions about democracy, send us an email at democracyappalled at gmo.com and we'll bring that topic in our next week's session and be sure to give you a shout out. Remember that email is democracyappalled at gmo.com. And let's go into some of the characteristics that make a strong, a stable and predictable business environment and the characteristics that go into a democracy that includes that. So one of the things is always civic engagement. Democracy provides opportunities for citizens to participate in the decision-making processes and promotes a culture of political activism and civic responsibility. And for example, in Switzerland, citizens have the right to initiate referendums on any law passed by federal government, allowing citizens to have direct say in the legislative process. Similarly, in Iceland, citizens were able to participate in the drafting of a new constitution through a process of crowdsourcing and collaborative decision-making. The promotion of civic engagement can help to strengthen social cohesion, promote public accountability, and ensure that the needs and priorities of all members of society are taken into account. However, there are challenges to ensuring that all citizens have equal access to political participation, and these challenges can range from voter suppression to gerrymandering and other forms of political manipulation. What is gerrymandering? If you're unfamiliar with it, gerrymandering is when redistricting occurs you know in the united states when it occurs it occurs when there's a new census so every 10 years redistricting redistricting occurs 
And so redistricting means that if you're currently, let's say, in North Carolina's 5th Congressional District, that doesn't mean that you'll necessarily be in North Carolina's 5th Congressional District, say, 10 years from now when the, when the census takes place again. And when the census takes place again and the population shifts, they may redraw the boundaries. And that could be done on partisan lines. And sometimes it favors one demographic group over another, which favors one party over another. So it's the drawing of these lines in, in uneven ways and unnormal and abnormal ways to favor one party over another to create a longer control for that party. Uh, another key thing that helps democracy, its stability and its, uh, its predictability is international relations. The role of democracy in international relations is another important dimension to consider. Democracies tend to have more stable and cooperative relations with other democratic nations. For example, and they can work together to promote global peace and prosperity to a much greater degree than uh, relations with democratic nations and non-democratic nations. You know, for example, the European Union is a democratic alliance of 27 countries that promotes economic cooperation human rights, and democracy across the region. However, democratic nations also face challenges in working with non-democratic nations, and they may need to balance their commitments to human rights and democracy with other geopolitical considerations. For example, the United States has been criticized for its support of authoritarian regimes in the Middle East and Latin America in the interest of promoting stability and protecting its strategic interests. And another key piece, it always comes back to this, is how do the people perceive it? And that goes through to the media and information. And that's a key piece of what makes our democracy what it is. And the role of media and information in promoting democracy is another key dimension to consider. Democracies rely on a free and independent media to provide citizens with accurate and unbiased information and to hold these powers accountable. However, the rise of disinformation and the erosion of trust in media institution has challenged the role of the media in promoting democracy. For example, in the United States, the spread of disinformation and the rise of media polarization have contributed to a breakdown in civic discourse and political polarization. Social media platforms have become a key source of news and information, but they've also been seen as promoting sensationalism clickbait and political manipulation. I read a recent study where I think at least a third of Americans still get their news from Facebook and the rise of disinformation and the role of big tech, it has played a much larger role in media and how Americans perceive democracy than ever before. Furthermore, the media has become more polarized than it has ever been in previous years. And, you know, we went into this when we went into the history of democracy, how, you know, it shifted the media polarization over time. And let's go to the next one, education. It's a key factor for the future generations in, to ensure long-term economic development, democratic stability, and everything that goes into future generations. So education is another important dimension to consider when exploring the role of democracy in modern society. Democracies rely on an educated and informed citizenry to participate in decision-making processes and to promote critical thinking and civic responsibility. However, access to education is not always equitable, and democratic societies must work to ensure that all citizens, all citizens, have access to high-quality education. For example, in Finland, the education system is based on equal access education for all citizens and focuses on 
promoting critical thinking, problem solving, and civic responsibility. As a result, Finland consistently ranks among the top countries in the international education assessments and also has a highly educated and informed citizenry. Is this the goal of the United States with a vast public school network? Yes. Yes, it is. It is to have equal access to education for all citizens. And it wants to focus on the issues to create an informed citizenry and a highly educated citizenry so that we can continue to be the hub of economic growth, economic development, and innovation. But there are, con- there are consistently issues, and some of those go back to social, in- social inequality and having a lack of that to create, a, create the high-quality education throughout the whole entire United States. And when it comes to social inequality, countries like Sweden and Norway, they have established some sort of social welfare programs. And it can be debated whether that's the way to go to get rid of economic disparities. But other countries like Scandinavia, in the Nordic countries of Scandinavia, they, they've established these extensive social welfare programs. So if that's the way you have to go, you have to be all in and you have to be ready to pour in tons of money. And I'm not so sure that'll create a more just and more equitable world for all truly in the United States. But that's something that needs to be done through extensive studies and looked at in in a very key detail through many, many different case studies on a case-by-case basis. Because the United States, it is one of the largest democracies, if not the largest democracy. Because the United States, it spreads so so vast from not just one group of people. Sure, we're all Americans, but what entails being an American? It entails a melting pot. And that's why we have all these different ethnic ethnic groups all throughout the United States. So one, one solution that may fit us in North Carolina, one solution that may fit us in Georgia, Florida, will not fit us in California, Washington, or Texas. So that is why we need to take this on a case-by-case basis and make sure what works for one state works for another state and adapt it and, and use it as such because the United States is not a one state, one solution fits all approach. And for it to be most successful, that's the approaches that must, must be taken because the rural areas in Georgia are not the same as the Atlanta areas right next to the urban urban sprawl. So it's important to consider that when making such decisions in, in addressing social inequality and so on. And when it comes to political polarization, that's another key piece in what makes our democracy what it is, especially today. And I know we touched on political polarization and its history, its importance, and how we can avoid it in the future. But it's it's an important challenge facing modern democracies. As citizens become increasingly divided along ideological lines, it can become difficult to promote consensus and cooperation and to ensure that all members of society are represented in decision-making processes. It's not always necessary that you need to agree and reach a consensus and cooperate all the time on every single uh, issue that faces us in the United States. Because there are things that will be separated by ideological lines. But the idea is, how do you make competition go to consensus? How do you make consensus go to being informed? Because there are many different types of things that go into that. And if you're looking to achieve one of them, you can achieve having competition, encouraging competition among different ideas and viewpoints by allowing different participants and everyone in the stakeholders in the community to come together and compete with with the ideas. And it's the idea of the marketplace of ideas where you have all these different ideas out there in our our place and they sort of compete together. And then one idea emerges as, you know, a consensus idea or the best idea out of all of them. 
And that's the idea of competition. You know, you can do consensus as well, where you have a shared understanding, a group understanding once you get informed. Or maybe it's just being informed. But you can definitely have a mixture of all of them, you know, just being informed or consensus building or competition building. But something must occur at the end. You can't beat a gridlock. Here in the United States, the political polarization has continued to gridlock and dysfunction in the government has grown. And it has made it difficult to address pressing issues such as healthcare, income inequality, the national debt, and so on. Democracies must work to address political polarization to promote a culture of compromise and cooperation. This can be achieved through policies that promote cross-party collaboration, public discourse, and civic education. Exploring the role of democracy in modern society requires consideration of a range of factors, and that includes civic engagement, that includes international relations. The media and information cannot be taken lightly because that is that is the way that we are using our fourth estate, how the word is getting out there, whether that's through Facebook or whether that's through the newspaper traditionally. And the education, protecting our future generations and the future of economic development. And then finally, when it comes to political polarization, how do we progress while still staying true to our ideals? While democracy has played a significant role in promoting economic development, you know, capitalism and uh, our, uh, capitalism and democracy, they're two distinct but interconnected systems that have always played a significant role in shaping modern society. And while democracy refers to a system of government that is based on the principle of political equality, capitalism refers to an economic system that is based on the principles of free enterprise and private property. They are always connected many times when they're together because you see them playing a significant role in one another when they are connected. When there's democracy and then when there's capitalism, there is no doubt that they're interconnected. This is your host, Rohan Mova, and if you're just tuning in, we are talking about democracy and its impact on the world. This show is all about democracy. This is Democracy Appalled. If you have any questions about democracy, send us an email at democracyappalled at gmo.com, and we'll bring that topic in our next week's session. Remember that email is democracyappalled at gmo.com. Email us, and we'll be sure to give you a shout-out. And in theory, when it comes to theory, capitalism and democracy, they are complementary. Capitalism can provide economic foundation for democracy to function efficiently. In a capitalist system, individuals are free to pursue their own economic interests, which can promote innovation, entrepreneurship, and economic growth. This can, in turn, provide the resources and opportunities necessary for democratic societies to function efficiently. However, there are also potential conflicts between capitalism and democracy. For example, capitalism can lead to income inequality, which can undermine the principle of political equality that is central to democratic governance. When wealth and power become concentrated in the hands of a few individuals or a few corporations, it can create a system of economic oligarchy that undermines the principles of democratic governance. Furthermore, capitalism can also create environmental de degradation, social unrest, and other negative externalities that can undermine the stability and effectiveness of democratic societies. For example, unregulated capitalism. It can lead to environmental pollution or resource depletion, which can have long-term consequences for health and the well-being of citizens. That, that's well known, and it's been shown throughout time, you know, when it comes to oil, natural gas, and so on. You know, in order to address these potential conflicts between capitalism and democracy, it's important to develop policies and regulations that promote a balance between economic growth and social welfare. This can involve establishing policies that promote social welfare, such as progressive taxation, public investment in education, 
and healthcare, and the establishment of social welfare programs. It can also involve regulating the activities of corporations and other economic actors to ensure that they operate in a socially responsible and sustainable manner. The relationship between capitalism and democracy is complex and it's multifaceted. And while capitalism can provide the economic foundation for democracy to function effectively, it can also create conflicts and externalities that can undermine the stability and effectiveness of democratic governance and democratic societies as well. I mean, to address these challenges, it's important to promote policies and regulations that promote a balance between economic growth and social welfare to ensure that capitalism operates in a socially responsible and sustainable manner. But the number one key to remember when it comes to capitalism is a free market. And I truly believe that in the legislature economic sphere. To a large part, I feel like the government should be unregulated. And there shouldn't be that great of a balance between economic growth and social welfare made by government regulations. Because when you promote policies and regulations to a great degree, you don't have capitalism anymore. Because it's not exactly the free market competition that you wish it to be. So when I say social welfare, that isn't government subsidized social welfare. That is private enterprise social welfare protecting, protecting the consumer. And when you protect the consumer with government regulations, that's okay. But it can't be to a great degree. You need to still continue to promote free market economics. But when I say social welfare, that is what I mean. And here are some of the examples that illustrate the relationship between capitalism and democracy. So I talk about in- income inequality. What the heck is income inequality? You know, in recent years, there's been a growing concern about the growing income inequality in many democratic societies particularly in the United States. While capitalism can create economic growth and wealth, it can also lead to the concentration of wealth and power in the hands of a few individuals or few corporations, which can undermine the principle of political equality that is central to democratic governance. To address this challenge, many democratic societies have established policies such as progressive taxation and social welfare programs to promote greater economic equality and social welfare. There's also environmental degradation. What is environmental degradation? So, like I said, capitalism can have negative externalities, right? Such as environmental degradation. So this can undermine the stability and effectiveness of democratic societies. So when you have unregulated capitalism, it can lead to environmental pollution and resource depletion, like I said. So this can have long-term challenges to the consequences of health and the well-being of citizens. And and this goes back to the idea that the environment is it's what's around us. And you need to have things to protect the environmental protection and sustainability, such as emission standards, renewable energy incentives, and conservation programs. There's also the idea of corporate responsibility. In order to ensure that capitalism operates in a socially responsible and sustainable manner, many democratic societies have established policies and regulations to promote corporate responsibility. For example, many countries have established corporate social responsibility. So these are policies that take that require con- companies to operate in a socially responsible manner and to take into account the interests of all stakeholders, including employees, customers, and the environment. Some countries have also established laws and regulations to promote worker safety, fair labor practices, and environmental su- sustainability. There's also, finally, social welfare. Again, I mean, finally, there, in democratic societies, you have the idea that capitalism should maybe be balanced with a good amount or a a sustainable amount of social welfare programs to ensure that the citizens have access to the basic necessities. So what exactly do the social welfare programs 
uh, entail. It could just be education. It could be housing as well to a degree, maybe low income housing. We can see about that. And those are things to take, again, on a case-by-case basis because the United States is so vast. You can't just implement a wide social welfare program and say, this is it. We're done. It's it's gone. It, it wouldn't work like that. You know, some other democratic societies, they've established universal health care, which it's a very controversial subject. And, it, you know, it has its pros. It has its, its cons as well. So it's not something that should be taken lightly and it should be th- something that should be thought out because – could this could this promote economic development? It could. Could it also decrease economic development? It could. It could because it could g- cause a great burden on the tax, the national debt that that the United States may not be able to handle at this moment. You know, there are public education programs, and this could promote economic stability. But remember, when you pr- put in so much government from the money, they need to get it from somewhere. Without getting it from somewhere, this could promote more economic instability than there is stability. And like I said, capitalism and democracy, they're interconnected systems that can work together to promote economic growth and political stability. There's also the potential conflicts and externalities that must be addressed, as I've stated. But, but through, through working together with all these different factors that come together when it's corporate responsibility or democratic societies balancing the benefits between capitalism and political equality and democratic governance, it can be a wide success that, that creates that creates a vast economic development like we haven't seen before. And I mean, we're, we're looking at it. We're looking at it happen in front of our eyes when it comes with countries like Korea or Japan. They're, they're, they're booming because they're, they're seeing the, uh, the growth between by pairing capitalism and democracy and working together and fostering it much greater than other countries are. Again, if you're just joining us, this is your host, Rohan Mova. And we're talking about democracy and its impact on the world. This show is all about democracy. This is Democracy Appalled. If you have any questions about democracy, send us an email at democracyappalled at gmail.com. And we'll bring that topic in our next week's session. Remember that email is democracyappalled at gmail.com. I want to take a look now at some examples of how capitalism has evolved with democracy throughout American history. So let's start off with industrialization. In the late 19th and early 20th centuries, the United States underwent a period of rapid industrialization which led to the emergence of many new forms of capitalism and economic organization. During this period, many workers were exploited and faced poor working conditions, which led to the growth of labor unions and other forms of collective action. Through collective bargaining and political advocacy, workers were able to secure better working conditions and wages, which helped them to promote better social welfare and economic stability. Another one I want to look at is the New Deal. In response to the Great Depression of the 1930s, the United States government implemented a series of policies and programs known as the New Deal. This was FDR's major accomplishment, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt. These policies were designed to promote economic relief and to promote social welfare and included programs such as Social Security, Unemployment Insurance, and Public Works Project. Do you guys know Social Security today? I'm sure you do. You've heard it on the news. They say funding may run out for Social Security cut Social Security and so on. I mean, there's there's all this sort of Social Security news. This has been going on since the 1930s when FDR installed it during the New Deal programs to ensure that the retired class, the older older class that's not currently working, doesn't have to go back or doesn't doesn't fail too much because because of the world around them. They they always have a sustainable income to fall back on, which is the Social Security. And these policies, they help to create, promote economic stability and social welfare and laid the foundation for the post-World War II economic boom. Then you have the Civil Rights Movement. The Civil Rights Movement of the 1950s and 1960s 
led to significant changes in the political and economic landscape of the United States. The movement helped to promote greater social and political equality and led to the implementation of policies and programs such as affirmative action and equal employment opportunity. In these programs, they helped to promote greater economic opportunity and social mobility for the minorities and other mar marginalized groups. So this was a big time in United States history. Then there was also the environmental movement. So in the latter half of the 20th century, there was a growing concern about the environmental impact of industrialization and capitalism. So this led to the emergence of what you call the environmental movement. And this helped to promote greater environmental protection and sustainability. So through political advocacy and public awareness campaigns, the environmental movement helped to promote policies and regulations that required companies to operate in a more environmentally responsible manner. And then you have corporate social responsibility. In recent years, there's been a growing recognition of the need for corporations to operate in a socially responsible manner. This has led to the emergence of so corporate social responsibility, like I've said previously, which require companies to take into account the interests of all stakeholders, including employees, consumers, and the environment. So these types of policies, they help to promote greater social responsibility and sustainability in the business world. And they've helped to balance the benefits of capitalism with the principles of political equality and social welfare. So throughout American history, capitalism, it's evolved with democracy in response to changing social, economic, and political conditions. Through policies and programs such as the New Deal, the Civil Rights Movement, and corporate social responsibility, capitalism has been balanced with social welfare and political equality to promote greater economic stability and social mobility. And while there have been challenges and conflicts along the way, the evolution of capitalism with democracy has helped to promote greater social and economic opportunities for all citizens. So when you look at one of the other things that has happened with democracy and capitalism coming together, it's the impact of globalization. Globalization has had a significant impact on the role of democracy in modern society. While globalization has promoted economic growth and innovation, it has also created new challenges for democratic governance, such as the erosion of national sovereignty and the rise of transnational corporations. Democracies must work to address these challenges and to promote greater international cooperation and accountability. There's also then the role of technology. The rapid development of technology has created new opportunities and challenges for democracy in modern society. On one hand, technology has made it easier for citizens to participate in decision-making processes and to hold those in power accountable. On the other hand, technology has also contributed to the disinformation, polarization, and political manipulation. Democracies must work to promote responsible use of technology and to ensure that technology is used in ways that promote civic engagement and political accountability. Globalization and technology are two powerful forces that have transformed modern society in numerous ways. The emergence of artificial intelligence, AI as we know it, and other technologies have had a profound impact on the way we live, work, and interact with one another. However, these forces have also created new challenges for democratic governance, particularly in the areas of privacy, political manipulation, and economic inequality. Globalization has contributed to the economic growth and innovation, but it has also created new challenges for democratic governance. The rise of transnational corporations and the erosion of national sovereignty has created new challenges for democratic accountability and regulation. For example, large multinational corporations may have significant economic power and influence, but they may not be subject 
the same regulatory and legal frameworks as local businesses. This can create situations where corporations can exploit workers or damage the environment without facing significant consequences. In addition, globalization and the rise of technology, particularly AI, has created new challenges for democratic governance. While AI has the potential to improve efficiency and innovation, it poses significant risks in terms of privacy, security, and bias. For example, AI algorithms may be designed to make decisions based on biased data, which can lead to other outcomes that should not that should not exist, but exist because the AI algorithms they made these decisions based on this data that isn't that is that shouldn't be there. And this AI, it's it may be used to monitor citizens or to manipulate political discourse, which can undermine the principles of political equality and the freedom of speech that are central to democratic governance. You know, it, it can manipulate political discourse. And when you have something like AI that manipulates political discourse, this undermines the principles of democratic governance. To address these challenges, it's important to develop policies and regulations that promote responsible use of technology and protect the interests of all citizens. This can involve establishing legal frameworks that promote corporate accountability, protecting citizens' privacy rights, and promoting responsible AI development and use. It can also involve promoting greater transparency and accountability in government, decision-making processes, particularly in areas related to technology and globalization. Furthermore, it is important to promote greater international cooperation and accountability to address the challenges posed by globalization and technology. This can involve establishing international standards and regulations that promote responsible use of technology and protect the interests of all citizens, regardless of their, you know, their nationality or their economic status. But don't get me wrong here. I am not saying that technology is bad. Technology and AI, they're incredibly useful and they will shape the future of how we do business, how we do everything in this country, in this world. But they must be used responsibly and for the betterment of society not to the harm of society. You know, the, the, the emergence of globalization and technology, particularly AI, they've, they've transformed modern society in numerous ways, so many ways, and they have created so much economic growth and innovation of, in and of themselves. But they've also created a couple challenges to democratic governance, like we've said. And through policies and regulations that promote responsible use of technology and that protect the interests of all citizens, democracies can promote greater political accountability, economic stability, and have their, the same economic growth and innovation through technology as well. So you'll be able to maximize all the benefits of it while still maintaining a strong principles of democratic governance. You just have to manage the best parts of technology and globalization. This is your host, Rohan Mova, and if you're just tuning in, we're talking about democracy and its impact on the world. This show is all about democracy. This is Democracy Appalled. If you have any questions about democracy, send us an email at democracyappalled at gmo.com and we'll be sure to give you a shout out and bring your topic in our next week's session. Remember, that email is democracyappalled at gmo.com. Creating regulations for AI is picking up steam. And here are a couple reasons that some argue for the regulations for AI for it to come into play. And one of it's privacy. So AI systems, they can be used to collect, analyze, and store vast amounts of personal data, which can raise significant privacy concerns. Regulations can help to ensure that personal data is collected and used in ways that are, are transparent, secure, and respectful of individuals' privacy rights. I was watching this documentary the other day, and uh, I forgot who said this, but someone said it's the age of privacy. This age that we're living in now, the 21st century, it's the age of privacy. 
And that's because it's the age of technology. We have all these smart home devices within our homes, these voice commands on our phones, the Siri, the Alexa, the Google Homes, and so on. And they're listening to everything that we say and they record it. So lawmakers, they've also raised concerns about the potential for AI systems to infringe on individuals' privacy rights. And uh, regulations are looking into really quickly. In a recent statement, Senator Ron Wyden, he, he said that the unchecked proliferation of data-hungry technologies is placing Americans' privacy at risk. And then he called for greater regulation to ensure that personal data is collected and used in ways that respect individuals' privacy rights. There's also the idea that accountability, so AI systems should be are complex and opaque, which can make it difficult to determine how decisions are being made and who is responsible for those decisions that are being made. So regulations, they can help to ensure that AI systems are transparent and accountable. And for those who develop and use AI systems, they're held responsible for their actions. So when it comes to accountability, I mean, several lawmakers, again, they they've argue for the greater transparency and accountability in the development and use of AI. So it, it's, it, there should be new regulatory frameworks to ensure that AI is used in the ways that reflect democratic values and principles. And there's also the idea that safety. So AI systems, they can have physical and societal impacts that can pose risks to public safety and well-being. So for example, you may know self-driving cars. They're coming out like crazy. You hear about them all the time. And we've been hearing about them on the news for years now. Have we seen them on the road too often? Maybe not so much. But the self-driving cars, they may pose a risk to pedestrians and other drivers. I've seen articles about that. And AI-powered weapons, they may pose risk to civilians. So regulations to help ensure that AI systems are developed and used in ways that prioritize safety and minimize risk to public health and safety would be best. And that's what lawmakers are arguing as well. So Senator Edward uh, Markey argued that AI technology can have serious safety and security implications and that it's critical that we take steps to ensure that these systems are developed and used in ways to prioritize public safety and minimize risk to the public. So this is something that is being looked at within the Senate right now, the Congress, and they're looking at creating AI regulations to promote the well-being of society while also maximizing economic growth and innovation. And finally, there's the idea of ethical concerns. So AI systems raise a range of ethical concerns, such as the use of face recognition technology for surveillance purposes, the use of AI in military operations, and the potential loss of jobs due to automation. And regulations can help to ensure that AI systems are developed and used in ways that reflect ethical principles and values. So as you may know, AOC, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, stated that we need to have broader conversation about what the ethical framework is for AI development and development in general. So she called for greater public engagement when it comes to new regulatory frameworks. And I think that's a, that's a good point to have the public engagement. What is what should the AI framework be as well as making sure that this technology remains readily accessible and readily accessible for innovation and economic growth. So overall, all these different concerns and, and comments from U.S. lawmakers, they highlight the need for greater regulation of AI systems to address the concerns of privacy, accountability, safety and ethics. And when you promote responsible use of AI and protect the interests of all citizens, regulations can ensure that AI is developed and used in ways that promote the public good and reflect democratic principles and values. So by doing that, you promote economic growth, you promote technology, and you promote innovation. You're able to do it all. Today is March 6, 2023. And on March 6, 1982, Ayn Rand passed away. As we talk about capitalism and democracy, I'd like to bring up Ayn Rand's 
Objectivism. It's a philosophy that emphasizes individualism, reason, and laissez-faire capitalism. And according to Rand, individuals should be free to pursue their own self-interest and their own happiness and should not be constrained by government regulations or social norms. And what is laissez-faire capitalism that she so much preaches? It's the idea that the private market, they'll take care of themselves. The businesses, they'll compete amongst themselves. There is no need for any government regulations or any government meddling. And it's an idea that that worked relatively well. Calvin, Calvin Coolidge, President Calvin Coolidge, he was a great believer in this ideology. And he was the president during the Roaring Twenties. He didn't do much, but there were still Roaring Twenties because the businesses were able to let their private markets and the market correct itself. So Rand's philosophy of, of objectivism holds the reason that the primary means of knowledge and the individuals have the right to pursue their own goals without interference from others. So there's the idea of individualism, reason, capitalism, and objectivity. Rand's objectivism has been influential in a number of fields, particularly in libertarian politics and economics. However, it's also been criticized for its emphasis on individualism and logosphere capitalism, which some argue lead to social inequality and exploitation that's been, that's been said before. But she is very well known for her economic prowess. Let's now take a look at whether democracy has prevailed or appalled this week. So let's first look at Mexico. So in Mexico, there have been some protests, fears for democracy. They've prompted mass demonstrations. So electoral reforms proposed by Mexican government have sparked huge protests across the country. Hundreds of thousands of people took to the streets in more than 100 towns and cities in opposition to legislation passed by the government of Andres Manuel Lopez. The reform was slashed funding to the country's electoral authority, which critics say undermined its independence and ability to organize elections. Most protesters were dressed in pink and white, the colors of the National Electoral Institute. They are attacking the reforms as unconstitutional and designed to make electoral scrutiny less effective while also making it harder to register voters to vote in more remote areas. So this is something we talked about in the previous episode, and this is something we're continuing on in this episode. The new law was passed by the Senate on February 22nd by 72 votes to 50 votes. So this electoral institute, it's seen as particularly important to Mexico because they have, uh, they have elections in Mexico which have been previously questioned for the lack of transparency in this very young democracy. And it's important to rem- remember that Mexico had an authoritarian regime led by a party of institutionalized revolution between 1929 and 2000. So this is a very young democracy, ranging, what, two decades? During the authoritarian period, elections took place periodically but were undemocratic due to fraud and coercion. So the PRI controlled the presidency from, the PRI was the party, the authoritarian party, and it controlled the presidency from 1929 until 2000 and until the late 1980s. And most elected government officials, they controlled them as well. So they managed the factions and flawed, they had flawed, corrupt electoral systems, which is why this, this electoral institute that they have right now is so crucial to their democracy and so important to the people as well. But basically, by taking away its, the funding from this institute, this election institute that controls the elections, they're messing with the elections, and it's no less than interfering with democracy itself. So opponents of the reform, they've asked the Supreme Court on its constitutionality, and Justice Dianne has suspended its application for two state elections taking place this year. Lopez Obrador, the president, has hit back with criticism of the judge and his ruling. Another one is in Israel. We're going to take a look at Israel this week. The dispute in Israel about judicial reform continues to dominate the headlines, the airwaves, and social media. At risk, we are told, is nothing less than the future of Israeli democracy. So the idea is that Israel, 
the Supreme Court and the justice system are taking too much power because the president wants to give them too much power so that he can get more power. There are sound reasons to be concerned. Democracy requires constant maintenance. While the wheels of Israeli mechanics of governments undoubtedly need recalibration, it is essential to do so without stripping the gears. The government's proposals for necessary judicial reform carry potential dangers of their own. Proponents of reform have been quickly to explain why it is necessary, but they've also said little to ally internal opponents and external observers' fears. So it's, it's important to remember that democracy requires checks and balances. You know, one, the justice system can't have more power than the executive and the executive can't have more power than the legislative or the judicial. It needs to be checks and balances. But when you have one branch taking over another, uh, taking too much control and another branch supporting it having more control so that it can take its own power grab, that is scary because the executive branch wants the judicial to have more power so that the executive can have more power itself, which is scary and is putting democracy at risk within Israel. So this judicial reform, it isn't really reform. It's really the uh, Israel's democracy on the line here. So answering the question of whether democracy is appalled or prevailing this week, I'd have to say democracy is appalled. You know, because the idea that Mexico has such a young democracy, a young democracy on the line here. And then in Israel, you have another long democracy on the line here again. Two democracies on the line, uh, and they could be on the verge of collapse. Because democracy, it evolves as society evolves. It requires constant support. It requires institutional support. It requires a leader support. And when you don't have that in Mexico and when you don't have that in Israel and you have, you, you have a power grab in Israel, you have a power grab in Mexico, it creates a democracy that is just hanging on to dear life. So that is scary in both Mexico and Israel. And Mexico especially because the, the youth of the democracy, which is scary. Democracy can only hope that democracy at the end does prevail. However, democracy overall will continue to prevail until it does not. And right now, democracy as a whole, it does prevail. But in these certain instances, democracy is definitely appalled. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Democracy Appalled. I am your host, Rohan Mova. Catch us on 1490 WWPR AM every 5 AM on Mondays. If you have any questions about democracy, send us an email at democracyappalled at gmo.com. And we'll bring that topic in our next week's session and be sure to give you a shout out. Remember that email is democracyappalled at gmo.com. Again, this is Democracy Appalled, and I'm your host, Rohan Mova. Thank you so much for joining us today, and I hope you have a great day. I hope to see you right back here next Monday at 5 a.m. Eastern. Thank you.